cinephile. Here's the man himself, Robert De Niro. Who can tell what a reaction will be to a film that nobody knows? The great Billy Bob Thornton, one of my favorite actors. The point of good acting is that you're supposed to be real. Cinephile. Virtuoso filmmaking by Scorsese. It's some of the best work he's done. The most famous person that follows me on Twitter, Will Arnett, <laughs> is in the house. Ego Mortensen, a tremendous story about working with Al Pacino on Carlito's Way. Cinephile, the Adnan Verk movie podcast. Are you happy, Mike Diesenhoff? A new open, all right? My buddy here at ESPN did not like the open. Tended to agree with him. We're selling the stars now, and what a year it's been. My thanks to everybody, notably Dan Stanzik, Pete Genesini, our boss, and putting together Cinephile. The final one of the year, 17 episodes soon to be in the books and thanks to all those who are offering their support. Brian Sussman from Podcast Spotlight sent me a nice DM and said, listen, you've got to get it reclassified. Your podcast should be in the TV and film category, which it now is. So huge favor, folks. All you cinephiles, help me out here, please. Rate the show and write a review on iTunes under Film and TV, which is where you'll now find cinephile. Again, I'm a neophyte when it comes to all of this, but Stancic tells me it will help us out. So please do rate the show, write a review. As Charlie Frankel also tells me, my reviews are in four Maple Leafs, but there you can go in five stars. So please don't cheat me. Give us some love. Really appreciate it. Thanks, as always, uh, for all your generosity this holiday season. The gifts keep coming. At least this time, I know where one of them came from. So Scorsese did a documentary called The Personal Journey with Martin Scorsese through American Film. came out in 1998. My buddy Cab gave it to me. It was a really nice gift of him back when we were at Ryerson. Remember, he was on the phone. I walked in. He's like, hey, it's for you. It was, it's, it's like it's it, VHS tapes, and there was like four cassette tapes. He sends it to me. He used to work at HMV, had to order it specifically, was not flying off the shelves of downtown Toronto, but what a great gift it was from Cab. Um, and I watched it, of course, back then, devoured it. I haven't seen it in 18 years, so I get the DVD, and my first thought was, oh, my God, do I have the DVD? Because I, I have so many VHS tapes still, which is embarrassing, but I just I can't part with them. But I went home, and I do have it. Um, so what we're going to do is this. We're going to auction it off at some point here in Cinephile. Uh, Stan's just going to put together a trivia, something related to Marty. And if you win it, you'll get the DVD, A Personal Journey with Martin Scorsese through American Film, sent to me by Jason's Music and More in Urbandale, Iowa. Shout out to Iowa. I was there earlier this year. Who knew? So thank you, Jason's Music. I appreciate you guys sending that along. And we'll have some trivia coming up in the new year on Cinephile. We'll also have trivia for shirts. Thanks to the crew, Mike Ryan, Stu Gotts, all those from the Dan Lebitard Show who had me on uh, last week talking movies. Had lots of great reaction to that. So really appreciate those guys helping out. And also got a book. It's uh, it's not an autobiography, but it's all of Scorsese's interviews compiled. It's called Scorsese on Scorsese. Now, I have the original book, which came out, uh, Last Temptation of Christ is on the cover. So, I mean, it's obviously a dated book, but there's an updated version, which was sent to me by someone, again, anonymous. I thank you so much. I don't know who you are, but very generous of you. I have now passed along the old version I have to Stanzik. He's going to devour that. Um, but thank you. This updated version has Gangs of New York and Bringing Out the Dead and uh, also Marty's documentary, My Voyage to Italy. So thank you very much for the gifts and the feedback. As always, very much appreciated from all of you. Because it is the final podcast of 2016, Stancic, there has been a reflective mood. We're big on giving quizzes here to win shirts. I'm going to give you a quiz. How long is this podcast going to last? Is the correct answer A, till we get Marty? B, until we start getting paid? C, until we go to the Oscars? Or D, other? Which one do you think it is? I'm going other there. So you don't think I mean, it's one of those? Would the podcast last until we get paid? We wouldn't stop it once we started getting paid. So that one is off. 
if we have Marty on, that that might be a good finale. Right. And, and the goal has been for the two of us to get to the Oscars. So I'm going other. All right. One day we're going to get Rossillo on the podcast, too. He's been a big supporter of Cinephile, and I know he's been a good sport about it because he asked me early on, he said, hey, when am I going to get on? And I was like, we'll get to you. And then he correctly said, that sounds like we're never going to have you on. So Rossillo making a cameo right now in Cinephile. What's up, man? Well, I get the hotline. Did you say something about me? Because one guy on Twitter <laughs> tells on me. I sent Rosilla a text yesterday. And again, this is why text is unfortunate because it sounds a lot harsher than it is. I sent Ryan a text yesterday. What would you say about me? Which sounds a little accusatory. So Ryan wrote back, are you kidding? And I I'm like, swore at you. Right. And I just said, well, I, I said, I didn't hear it. I just want to know what you said. Somebody said that you, you know, threw me under the bus. Ryan goes, no, that's not what I said. I made a joke. He explained it to me. I said, oh, okay. Sorry to bug you during the show. Have a good rest of the show. Right, because people are like, I think he's kidding. I go, no, actually, I think he's serious. But I think <laughs> this is a playoff of something else. But no, I, I'm i a big fan. Thanks, man. The Manchester by the Sea yes. recommendation was huge. How great was it? It's, what they did is really hard to do. It's a really sad story. If you explain somebody, be like, well, here's the timeline of events, and this is what happens in the movie. You'd be like, well, I don't want to go see that. That's awful. Would you agree with the blurb? It's the funniest story about grief ever made. Absolutely. Because you know how hard it is? Okay, be like, all right, here's my pitch. And then you'd pitch it and you'd go, well, when am I going to laugh? You know, because they'll do that to you. Right. You know, and they're like, oh, but there's a lot of light moments. (laughs) So the fact that Manchester by the Sea depicts that town perfectly, these miserable, there have been so many good Boston movies. Spotlight nails Boston. Right. As much as any movie I've ever seen. You didn't like the departed accents, if I'm not mistaken. No, they were terrible. He forgot them at times, you know. <laughs> it's Wahlberg and like Damon, Boston guys were like, eh, well, I could use another bartender. Uh, but <laughs> I, I can't believe. Two how, weeks. That's I, Baldwin's line. That's I, right. I can't tell you how hard that must have been to write, to write this terrible circumstance and why this guy in the town, like I'm trying not to do the spoiler alert. Right, right, right. That's why I just appreciate the recommendation and acknowledging like that wasn't easy to do. That's really hard to do to make a movie actually funny about something that terrible. Yeah. Well said. Go see Manchester by the Sea. Have a great holiday, man. Thanks, man. You too. All the best to Rosillo and Canal. You can always listen to those guys. One to four Eastern on ESPN Radio. So Stanzik, I guess our answer is once Rosillo makes a cameo, we're pretty much done. Also, speaking of Manchester by the Sea, yeah. if any of you out there want to buy Casey Affleck's stock, I bought it all after Gone Baby Gone in 07, and I'm not selling it. That dude's winning Best Actor. And you are an enormous Denzel fan. Either him or Leonardo DiCaprio are your favorite actors. We can't wait to see Fences, either of us. Denzel's supposed to be amazing. You see him everywhere on the junkets right now, but I'm with you. Everyone's saying it's Affleck to Denzel, but I can't see anybody beating Casey Affleck. Awesome performance. Incredible. Um, so how long in the pocket? If we get Marty, that'll be the last one. But if not, 100 episodes? Is that is that a... Honestly, I was surprised it was 17. You said 17, and, and I, it was jarring. It feels like this is nine. <laughs> that's, that's always good news then. So thanks, as always, to our guests. The talent bookers here do a phenomenal job. Lisa Stokes, Darren Demetrio, Carlton Gillespie, Katie Mervaldis, they're all phenomenal in helping us out. So thanks. I mean, the, the list here. Robert De Niro, Viggo Mortensen, Billy Bob Thornton, Christopher Guest, um... Uh, Norm McDonald, Will Arnett. We've had so many great people there. I, J.K. Simmons. Like it's, I would never have expected all these people would have been kind enough to come on our podcast. I so really appreciate that and all that they've done for us. Also appreciate people reaching out and wondering how they can uh, contribute. Jen Perez, who works here at ESPN, Adrian Lawrence as well. Like, hey, if you need any help, and I'm like, we have a staff of two. It's 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 me and Stanzik. Like, I go see the movies. He comes up with the ideas. We knock it out, and that's it. What what could we possibly farm out to people? 
The only idea I thought of is this. I'm starting to get people who are reaching out going, hey, I have a cousin who did a short film. Would be nice if you could hype it up on Cinephile. I may need somebody just to go, hey, can you watch this for me? And then give me your review and then I'll let them know. Because I, I mean, we got to talk about Rogue One. I can't talk about somebody's science fair project. That might be the only topic that I could throw out there. Quick awards recap before we get to the new movies to review. Keegan-Michael Key, as I mentioned, is coming up. Will Smith's top five movies. He's got a new film out, Collateral Beauty, which is supposed to be horrific. So we'll focus on the better films of Will's career. And Scorsese's stories this week, The Departed, is what we'll be focusing on. The movie that finally won Marty an Oscar for Best Director and also won Best Picture. Three words as well. Kevin Costner should be a fun one there. As far as the movies themselves, Rogue One, Arrival, Florence Foster Jenkins, Midnight Special, Minutes Away. Awards recap quickly, really dismayed by the performance of Silence, did not get anything at the Golden Globe nominations and nothing at the SAG Awards. Would have thought at least the Globes love stars. They love big names. You would have thought at least Marty would get a nomination for director, Liam Neeson for supporting actor from his fellow actors at the SAGs. The Globes are a bit tricky because, like I said, they're very celebrity star driven. Uh, so they're not always a good precursor to the Oscars, but it's not good news that Marty was completely ignored there. And as far as the SAGs, that's a better indicator of generally the acting Oscar winner. So because the, the Globe split it up, they're best actor in a comedy or musical, best actor in a drama. Obviously, the SAGs do it the way the Oscars do it. There's just one best actor, one best actress, so on and so forth. So generally, if you want to know with your Oscar pools who's going to win the Oscar, go with the SAG Awards acting categories rather than the Globe acting categories. Having said that, one thing I was happy about, Sully was completely ignored. I think I gave it two or two and a half stands. But everything I'd read, goldderby.com, which I'm a part of, you can go check out my experts picks there. Tom O'Neill does a great job running the site. May want to get Tom on, I think, in the new year because he's, he's great with all this kind of stuff. So goldderby.com, all the things you need to know about the Oscars. Uh, we had been predicting that Sully would get nominated at least for actor. Hanks was a pretty safe bet. Completely ignored. And I like Tom Hanks, but I'm like, that's a good thing because that movie was You don't like written. Hanks. You're no, a I, Hanks hater and no, everybody no. knows it. <laughs> Let's just move on. Don't lie to the audience. As far as loaded categories are concerned, how about the SAG Best Actor? Sterling K. Brown, who played Chris Darden in the wonderful People vs. O.J. Simpson. Courtney Vance, who's winning everything, played Johnny Cochran. He's probably going to win. Our guy, Brian Cranston, awesome as LBJ and all the way. And the two guys, either of which I would be thrilled to see them win. Riz Ahmed, who played Nas in The Night Of, and the one I'm really hoping for, John Turturro as John Stone in The Night Of. Night Of is just running again on HBO. If you have eight hours to kill over the holidays, uh, watch it. I don't have enough time to watch it in its entirety, but I did DVR it, just forwarded through some great scenes. I love Turturro's closing summation. Uh, just some of the scenes in prison there with Nas are just chilling. I mean, it's just so well done, The Night Of, if you haven't seen it. Of those five stands, who would you want to see win? You've seen all those five nominees. Oh, Cranston. The Unreal. For sure. LBJ, just the, the, the thin lips and the underbite and the accent and the hair. I mean, he's phenomenal. Uh, either way, the SAG Awards will be coming up, so look forward to that in the new year. Let's talk some movies, shall we? Rogue One, the first Star Wars standalone film in theaters, and I have to admit I found it to be a huge disappointment. The first question people have for me is, well, how big a Star Wars fan are you? I have the, the originals, as I still like to call them, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. I enjoy those very much, especially Empire Strikes Back. I think it's a great movie. Uh, as far as Lucas's films that they then made, the trilogy, the, pre the, the prequels, very disappointing. Jar Jar Banks, one of the worst characters of all time in motion picture history. Although when people say it's the worst idea ever in movies, there's only one answer here. And it's always the first thing that comes to mind, Stanzik. You know earlier this year I mentioned Hitchcock Truffaut was one of the best movies I thought of this year. The worst film idea ever of my lifetime 
is when Gus Van Sant decided to do a shot-for-shot remake of Psycho with Vince Vaughn and Anne Heche. It was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. came out in 98. Like, why anybody would think this is a great classic film, rather than just encourage people to see it with a documentary or in every interview say, hey, you should go watch Hitchcock's film Psycho. It really influenced me. No, no. We're going to remake it. Oh, is it a reinvention? Is there a new style? No, no. It's just shot for shot. We're just doing exactly what he did, except it'll be in color and inferior actors and just a complete story that lacks all the novelty in the original of the first one. Oh, okay. And then they added this bizarre scene with Vince Vaughn, which I can't get into over here. But it's just, that's the worst idea ever. It's up there with Jar Jar Banks. Regardless, I'm not a crazy Star Wars fan, but I like the movies. I thought last year's was terrific. I thought I had as an honorable mention one of the best pictures of the year. I thought J.J. Abrams did an excellent job of revitalizing the genre. I thought he had a good mix of nostalgia using Han Solo and Harrison Ford while also introducing new characters. I love the fact they're really preaching diversity. You know, you've got a Hispanic actor. You've got Riz Ahmed, my guy from the night up, Pakistani Brit in the mix. You've got a woman here, Daisy Ridley. Now, Felicity Jones is in the new one. You know, Lady Heroine is nice to see. Uh, rather than just one black actor like Lando Calrissian from the originals, you've got Forrest Whitaker and other actors as well. So I like the fact that they're trying to be more inclusive. But the film itself was leaden. I found it drab. I found it dreary. And everything I had read going in was just that the third act is terrific. Take some time to get there. Take some time to get there is putting it lightly. I refrain from ever going to the bathroom during the movie. Stan's and I have been to see a movie before, Gone Girl. I turn off my phone. I like to sit right in the middle. And I, if I, whatever compulsion I have to use the bathroom, I fight it with the fury of a thousand men. During this movie, since I was so bored and I just didn't care, I went to the restroom three times in the first hour and a half. Like, that's where you just go, oh, I, I think I need to go. Okay, I'm just going to go because I don't think I'm missing much right now anyways. It's a bunch of weird-looking characters. I don't understand it. To me, it just I just think it lacks originality. It's just its this real cookie-cutter concept of characters who are not the same, but they're kind of the same. They're, they're similar to the other characters, and we'll put them in a galaxy not far, far away, but close enough nearby. It's, it's, a, it's a neighborhood that's in the area. And it's kind of the same. And then we'll give you a couple tastes. No spoiler alert, but there's a major character from the past who does make an appearance, who's the best part of the movie, is only in it for three scenes. So we'll give you a little simple, you know, sampling, and that should be enough. It wasn't nearly enough for me. Is the third act good? Yeah, obviously. There's a bunch of action there. That's where all the uh, the lightsabers start firing away, and, and you get um, lots of you know death and destruction and such. But listen, just because there's a good 30 minutes of action, that doesn't redeem the rest of the film. If I want a good, entertaining action movie, I'd watch Mad Max Fury Road. If I want a good sci-fi movie, I'd watch Guardians of the Galaxy, or I'd watch Arrival, which I'll talk about in a minute. I would not watch Rogue One. I'm giving it one and a half Maple Leafs. It was a real disappointment for me. I'm facing quite a backlash here on Twitter. Not that I care. Uh, you can tweet me, as always, add me on ESPN. Tell me how wrong I am. That's fine. Uh, but I regret seeing it. Thankfully, uh, they have the same deal here in Central Connecticut, Sanzik. Not sure if you're aware. Same as when I went and saw Free State of Jones for $5.23. If you see a movie before noon, only $6. Plainville Cinema's here. I saw an 11.30 showing of Rogue One. Six bucks. You know what? For six bucks, it was not- apparently it wasn't worth it. <laughs> yeah, still not worth it, but not totally terrible. Next film to discuss is Arrival, science fiction film. As I just briefly mentioned, that's something that I would recommend. It's a brainy science fiction movie. It's starring Amy Adams, who is guaranteed to be nominated for Best Actress. And what I liked about it was you have the basic concepts you'd expect of a science fiction film, which is aliens arriving and how are we going to communicate them and the threat of imminent danger. But it does so in a really realistic manner. The real focus of this movie is how would you communicate with aliens? How would you 
interact with them. This is not somebody in a cornfield just starts talking to them. You have to have the appropriate garb when addressing them. You have to try to decipher their language and find out. You have specialists. You have the military. You have the entire world all chiming in with how to affect this. This isn't just one isolated incident as we often see in movies. This would be a global experience and something everybody would be talking about. Shout out to my buddy Gurdip Alawalia who has a cameo in the movie playing one of the newscasters. Gurdip's the best part of the movie. Uh, a reason why Denis Villeneuve is the director, Canadian director. So we shot this in Montreal. Um, <clears throat> he also did a French language film called Encendies, which is amazing. And, of course, Prisoners, which is great with Hugh Jackman. He's really a director to watch now. And obviously Villeneuve's making his imprint now in America with this kind of a film. But I thought it was brainy and it took chances. And I understand, Stanzik, some might say it's a little bit slow moving for them because they're expecting a science fiction film, which is going to have spectacle. I thought it had enough spectacle, but... It's a slow burn. It's churning towards um, the, the climax. And I thought the way that that was revealed took its time. But rather than tedious, I enjoyed the journey. And I appreciate the fact they didn't go for easy thrills. I thought it was a really smart way to approach the subject matter. Yeah, I didn't even think of it that way. I'm not a sci-fi guy. I know you're not either. So I didn't think of it from a lack of action perspective. And there's certainly not much action at all. Right. But I'm a communication guy. So I was fascinated with how would you try to communicate with with someone that doesn't talk your language or isn't from your planet. Right. It was kind of cute. I don't know if you loved it or hated it, that they called the two islands they were trying to talk to, Abbott and Costello. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, I like okay. that. Pretty good. Jeremy Renner, not great. Yeah, it didn't have much to do. Kind of Amy a Adams, school. awesome. But I, it, it, it changed how we perceive time, which I really thought was, was well done. Yeah, I think it's a smart film. I give it three Maple Leafs. Go check out Arrival if you're into that kind of film. Like Sanzik said, there's not an excess of action, but I think it's a smart science fiction film. And it has a chance, at least, at a Best Picture nomination, which would be nice to see. A real surprise for me was Florence Foster Jenkins. You see the poster. It's Meryl Streep in period costume and Hugh Grant. And you go, yeah, pass. Now, I mean, Meryl Streep's a brilliant actress, the greatest actress of all time. And I would argue, in fact... As far as like definitive categories in film, as far as best director and who's number two and screenwriter and actor, I think the big greatest gap is for actress one versus actress two. Like it's Meryl, and if you want to throw in Catherine Hepburn at two with her four Academy Awards, I'm all for it. And she's great and has had many wonderful performances, like the Philadelphia story in particular for me. But I think Meryl's number one and unquestioned. And you watch 10 minutes of Florence Foster Jenkins, and you go, yeah, of course. Meryl does it again. Going to get another Oscar nomination. She's not going to win, but absolutely deserves it. And I watched the trailer to see if it's something I'd be interested in, and the trailer's hilarious. What it's about is a woman back in the 50s who loves to sing. It's her greatest motivation and enthusiasm in life, but her ambition far exceeds her talent. She is, to put it lightly, an atrocious singer. But her doting and devoted husband, Hugh Grant, because they're part of upper-class culture, and Florence Foster Jenkins, who is the title character, played by Meryl Streep, has a lot of money. So they put on these dinner parties, and Hugh Grant knows it's this very insular community. They all know that she's bad, but to support her, they all tell her she's great, because in her mind, she thinks she's great. And it's not that she has some sort of, like, mental difficulty. She's not, you know, I don't think she's handicapped anyway, but she is delusional. She, what she's singing sounds a lot better to her than what people are hearing. And to keep up the facade of this... Hugh Grant is a very loving husband, keeps these friends and family who tell her how great she is and bravo and, and wonderful and all the rest of it. What happens is that her, her ambition, as I said, exceeds her talent, and she wants to be able to sing on a larger scale and wants to play Carnegie Hall. And Hugh Grant realizes, well, hang on a second. This is now a situation I cannot control. I can control dinner parties. I can pay people off to tell her that she's good, but I can't control the media. If you play Carnegie Hall, someone from the New York Times is going to go there, and they're going to rip you, and it's a disaster. How do I control this? 
So he's trying to finesse that situation, but it's what she wants. She's also dealing with her own illness. Hugh Grant has a backstory, which I will also not reveal, which also is important to the story. But it's one of those movies that you'd say it's an old-fashioned love story, but it's done in a really intelligent manner and an entertaining way. I'm telling you, you see the poster and you go, period piece from the 50s, no thanks. But it's really funny because the scenes where she's singing are just so wildly bad. We all know we have at least one bad singer in the family or somebody in the social circle. And the, the amusement that is garnered from seeing Meryl Streep, the greatest actress of all time, singing opera but in a bad manner. Like that takes a real talent because she had to learn how to sing opera, I'm assuming, but then sing opera in a really bad way, in a tone-deaf manner. It's like, <laughs> and the people are just laughing their faces off at her, but they're trying to stifle their own laughter. It's amazing. And Hugh Grant, I remember hearing back in August getting Oscar buzz, and I go, Hugh Grant's getting Oscar buzz? Like, what would be the best performance of his career prior to now? Um, but he's going to get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He's terrific in it. I mean, he's made a real strides from the uh, foppish character always stammering in Four Weddings and a Funeral. It's a really mature character uh, who is doting and loving, and it's a good movie to watch with your mom or, or somebody who may enjoy a film of that era. Stephen Frears is the director, uh, did The Queen, did The Grifters. Uh, so he's an accomplished director and did a really good job with Florence Foster Jenkins. I give it three Maple Leafs. Last one, Midnight Special. This came out earlier in 2016. It's now available on HBO. Florence Foster Jenkins currently available on DirecTV or on DVD. Midnight Special is a film from Jeff Nichols. We reviewed his previous film, Loving, on The Last Cinephile. This was a movie that came out earlier in the year. The best reason to see it is the cast and the great Michael Shannon. Odd and unsettling as always, because what else would you expect from Michael Shannon? That's our guy. Um, it's about a young boy, his son, who has some sort of powers that emanate from his eyes. These blue streams come out. So that's why he has to have goggles covering his eyes. And what I liked about the movie is it hits the ground running. There's no needless exposition. There's no explanation of it. All you know is his father is taking his son somewhere away from a religious cult and the military. And we don't know why, except that he has special powers. And away we go. And Joel Edgerton is his friend helping him. Of course, he's in Loving, the other Nichols film that I mentioned. He's going to get nominated for Best Actor. You've also got Adam Driver in the film trying to figure out what's going on. And Midnight Special, this is one of those movies that's all about being a triumph of mood. And I don't think the payoff is worth necessarily the journey. You know, kind of like Arrival, what Stanzik and I are saying, if you expect this big cathartic finale, then I think you're going to get disappointed. But if you want a movie which is all about mood and being unsettled and paranoid and intrigue, then I think Midnight Special does an excellent job of that. Leah Greenblatt of Entertainment Weekly, the film critic there, put it in her top ten movies of the year. I wouldn't like it that much. I gave it three stars. But that's a good example of a cast who, if they buy in, can elevate material, which in other hands wouldn't be as strong. So kudos to Jeff Nichols, who's had a strong year with Midnight Special and Love. Check it out right now on HBO. You're listening to Cinephile, the Adnan Verk movie podcast, and a thrill to be joined by Keegan Michael Key, the Emmy Award winner for his work on Comedy Central's Key and Peel, and also a big time sports fan. I'm going to ask you about the fact that you look like James Franklin at Penn State uh, ties and the fact you're on college game day. But how about this, Keegan Michael? Radio interview on Friday, Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll referenced a sketch you did on Key and Peel. To explain why his defensive lineman, Michael Bennett, was flagged for an excessive celebration. To put it mildly, he did one too many pumps. What is your reaction when you hear something like this? I, I would like to say I would like to not be a troublemaker 
But at the end of the day, I'm so proud of them. <laughs> I'm so proud that Jordan and I are in a position to maybe maybe we're the maybe we're the beginning of the uh, the insurgency against the no fun league. You know what I mean? It's like we weren't even trying. I mean, it was just an observation that Jordan had made when he was writing the sketch, and and we had no idea it was going to catch on like this. And I, I, I always want I always want to I, in this case I also always want to give props to Lance Moore when he was playing for the Saints because Lance Moore is the first person to do this. He and Kenny Stills did a very elaborate routine based off of our sketch about three seasons ago, and, then the, and it looks now like the floodgates have opened because we've got Vaughn Miller did it, and Michael Bennett did it, and Antonio Brown did it, and I'm going to have to give all these guys critiques at some point in time, but uh, <laughs> let them know how to do it more accurately. But what I'm looking for is the person who's really going to break, uh, break the seal and go four pumps. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what that fine's going to look like, but I don't know, Adnan. That's, that, that might be pushing the envelope, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, that or, 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 or should I say pumping the envelope? <laughs> exactly. Well said, man. Um, I have a close friend of mine who is, as I would put it, or he himself puts it, a light-skinned brother. So he takes offense when people always think he looks like a light-skinned black actor. Now, in your case, the fact when you played James Franklin, I was like, all right, I want to know what your reaction was. Did, did you first see the resemblance or someone mentioned it to you and you were like, yeah, I, I guess this isn't one of those, oh, yeah, the black guy looks like the other black guy. Or did you actually go, yeah, you know what, put glasses on me. I could actually imitate this guy. Yeah, I think, I think, a, lot of it, I, I, I think a lot of it has to do with <clears throat> really, I guess it does have to do with skin tone. It's, 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 that, it's, the way, it's the manner in which our skin color is similar. Other than that, I think, you know, we actually, you know what it is? Our eyes are very similar. So when somebody had pointed it out to me, I went, you know what? We do look alike. We, I actually think we, we have very similar, if I may use the word, lineaments. <laughs> that's my 50 cent word for the day. I like 50 it. 50 cent word for the day, lineaments. I just had an aneurysm, by the way, coming up with that word <laughs> um, from high school vocabulary. Um, so that's, but, but like our features, there are some features that are similar. I think our eyes are the same. We're both kind of, we're both kind of high energy guys. And that was why, every, I mean, everybody on the team went, oh, oh, he looks a lot like coach. I think I would like to say they meant it in regard to our features less than, um, than that just fact. Oh, Two light-skinned black guys, they all look alike. People, you know, yeah. I, you know, I know, I, trust me, uh, I've, I, uh, I've heard that, mm, I mean, let me see, how many nickels would it take? Yes, right. I'd be a millionaire. I'd right. be a millionaire. And you'll probably yeah. get, like, even stupider ones. Like, hey, you kind of look like Danny Glover. You're like, what? Like, that makes nope, no right, sense. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Or my, my brother and I, who look nothing alike, and people are just like, oh, you guys, oh, so uh, how far apart? Like, you know, look at you guys, you look so alike. I'm like, um, look again. <laughs> look again. I'm just going to give you one chance to look again a little harder. <laughs> We're talking with Keegan Michael Key. His new film, Why Him, will be opening in theaters on Friday. Your most famous famous character, probably Luther, President Obama's angry translator. Now, I know in the sketch, you know, your partner Peel is the one impersonating Obama, but you can do a president impression. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we uh, we both did it. Uh, I did it for a long time. Uh, on Mad TV, and then um, you know we uh, we had to have a discussion about uh, who was going to do it uh, on the show. So 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 yeah. So we both. I've been doing the impression since probably gosh since '07 since he was oh. still a senator, and uh, um, when I was on Mad TV, and then he went and, uh, and 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 cultivated his own impression, which is just I think excellent. It's just spot on. 
And I don't even know what the difference is about how we both kind of found our entryway to it. Right. But um, but I, I figured, it, you know, we thought I was very suited to play Luther and that he was very suited to play the president because he has a very kind of calm disposition. Jordan does. But I find impressions hysterical. Like Frank Caliendo's a buddy of ours. And, and he said to me, this is the only downside of it. You meet somebody at a grocery store and they go, hey, do an impression to me. And you go, I just met you. Like, I can't, it, there is an art to this. I can't just turn it on like that, right? Right. It's definitely a craft. Like you're definitely and, and, and the thing that makes Frank so great is he and Jordan actually Jordan is very good at impressions as well. It's when you look at other people and you find you find that tick that other people can't find. Very often when I'm doing an impression, I'll I'll admit this, I'll be doing an impression which is an amalgam of the real person and someone who also does an impression of him. So like everybody kinda you know, that's the kiss Christopher Walken. But what you're really doing is you're impersonating Kevin, Kevin Spacey, Pollack, right, 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 or Kevin Spacey, yes, or or you're impersonating uh, uh, Jay Moore. That's what you're, you're doing. An impersonate, like we all go, like if I say Ronald Reagan, everybody goes, well, but that's only because Rich Little first realized, oh, that's a that's a that's a verbal tell that the president has, and that's what makes um, people like uh, like Frank and Jordan so incredible is that they're really, really observant, really observant about how, behavior. How did President Obama react when he did the impression of his face? Well, you know, he he just kind of giggled. He's like, uh, "It's pretty good." Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's he's such a he has such a great sense of humor, yeah. and I and and he's really really. Uh, when we did the White House Correspondents' Dinner together, which is perhaps one of the greatest moments of my life, or maybe the greatest moment of my life, he was so his his timing. I could not understand how his timing could be that good. But I feel like when you look back at it in retrospect. Uh, Adnan, you realize, well, look at when he gives speeches. It never sounds like he's giving a speech. He just sounds like it's rolling off his tongue. So he's really good with, like, intonation. I don't know where he learned that. Maybe it's just natural. But right. the, guy, the guy's just so dang cool. It's just stupid. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I don't he's think amazing. we can never have a cooler president. Like, nobody else – like you said, the White House Correspondents' Dinner, which you've been a part of, like, he's just so quick-witted. Like, he actually gives a good delivery. Like, when he was on Seinfeld's Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, like, he just has natural comic timing, right? Oh. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, yeah. You see, you see that he just has. I think it's innate. I don't think I don't think it's something that you learn. He was too. I mean, he's too busy learning constitutional law to go hit the old <laughs> chuckle cellar. You know what I mean? It's like what? So I, I'm going to say it's natural, a natural talent that he has. We never will. We never will. Kennedy's amazing, but this guy is just like the picture of cool. Right, Keegan Michael Key. We're talking to his new film, Why Him. We'll get into it in just a second. But you do a quick Donald Trump impression and don't think twice. Oh, I do. Yeah, and don't think twice. There's just a moment where all of the characters are talking to each other, and we had no idea that what was what, what has happened was going to happen. It was very. Uh, it was like it was like a fortune teller situation. So um, Michael Berbiglia s- says he goes, you know, um, it's all going to be like um, improv for America. You fired because the building where their theater was was getting sold to Trump. So then they're all sitting there doing their Trump impressions, and everyone, you know, everybody's doing it. I, I don't do it very well. Uh, I, I do the best I can. Everybody likes to say huge, huge, <laughs> because he's going to say, I mean, we're going to hear that word over and over again for a long time. It's going to be great. It's going to be the best. It's always going to be better. We're going to win. Uh, what are we going to win, Donald? I don't know, but we're winning. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's just, part of that impression is simply moving your fingers around in the air and being extremely vague. Those are the only two things you really have to do. That, and, then, and then slap on your best New York accent. Right. The vagueness is really what it is. If you just say huge, winning, gold, Melania, winning, 
in love, daughter, winning gold. That's all you have to say. That's all you have to say. Right. And it's huge, funny. huge winning. And then when I see Putin, like, I feel like he's like a superhero character, like from the movies. Like, this would be like a badly written caricature of somebody oh. from the 80s would write. Exactly. It, 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 it's like it's it's like who knew <clears throat> as we're looking at I was talking to Jordan about this the other day. I said, oh, my God. He, he said, I can't believe this. The Russians might be the ones who actually win the Cold War. <laughs> uh, this is I mean, he is Lex Luthor. He's like a Russian Lex Luthor. <laughs> that guy, I wouldn't be surprised if Putin shaved his head. Why not? Well, let's just go the whole way. Why don't you just be Dr. Evil and Lex Luthor mixed together? Oh. It's like an actual, it doesn't make any sense. There's a real Lex Luthor in the world. Right. That's amazing. You yeah. got to get him a monocle. Uh, why yeah, him? Yeah, monocle, yeah. Why him is going to be in theaters. Tell me about working with Brian Cranston and James Franco. The trailers look hilarious. The best. The absolute best. They're both lovely guys. Very different people. But you can't even understand how lovely they are. Brian is the kind of guy who, off camera and on camera, just gracious as the day is long. And James is, it really is a consummate professional. He's always doing like six things at once, but when he's in the moment, he's giving 110%. They are both lovely to work with. Megan Mullally's in this movie from, you know, from um, Will and Grace. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And, and two really wonderful young stars that are coming up. Um, uh, Zoe Deutsch, who is just a lovely young lady. She is, uh, she's going to skyrocket. You're going to hear about her every day in about two years, like in, in about a, I'm sorry, in about a year. And there's, really good kid named Griffin Gluck who and that, that rounds out the family so it's Cranston Mullally <clears throat> Zoe and, and Griffin they're the family and they're coming to spend Christmas in California with uh, her new boyfriend who James Franco is playing who's this millionaire and then the father and the boyfriend are clashing it feels like an old classic story or plot line but the way John Hamburg the director does it is amazing and it's really it's been playing really well at screenings and with audiences they just they're just digging it it's yeah. so much fun. I saw Frank on one of the, the late night circuits talking about the fact his character doesn't wear underwear. So Megan Mullally got a little more of his crack than I think she intended. I don't know if that was a good thing for her or not, but that's, that alone is a character quirk that I'm sure will uh, attract people to go to the theater to see this yeah, movie. But yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And there's some great scenes. I mean, but, I mean Megan, Megan is, is pretty – she's just fantastic in this movie. She's a bit of a tour de force in this movie, and it's really something else. It's really something else. I hope I hope everybody goes and sees it. And it's it's a Christmas movie, but it's also a more than that a family movie. Yeah, it looks hilarious. Uh, go check out Why Him in theaters. Keegan Michael Key. You can find him on Twitter at Keegan M Key. We haven't had the pleasure of meeting, but I know you came to ESPN and people raved about you. Said you're a genuinely good guy. Uh, I'm thrilled for your success, man. Seeing what Kim Peel has done, Keanu the movie. Uh, now seeing in other films as well. So I really appreciate you coming on Cinephile, and hopefully we can meet sometime in Bristol. Oh, Adnan, I'm coming out there. No, I, I have to hang out with Jamel Hill all, uh, anyway, because she's my buddy from Detroit. So we just have to hang out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'll be making frequent trips to Bristol so we can eat chili fries. So, all right. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Thank you, man. I'll come I appreciate see you. All right. We'll take care, man. You take care. Bye-bye. Actor Showcase. Will Smith has a new film, Collateral Beauty, out. I'm not going to see it. It's got 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. Everyone's saying it's a massive dud. So instead, let's focus on the positive when it comes to Will Smith for our boy, Drew Brooks. Sadly, well, I won't get no spoilers. Number five, six degrees of separation. A sign that Will Smith could play a mature character and do something different. Scenes with Stocker Channing and Donald Sutherland are excellent. He plays 
A guy who's saying he's related to Sidney Poitier's long-lost son shows up on the doorstep. A really good examination of upper-class society based on the John Guar play. Six degrees of separation represented a mark of maturation for Will Smith as he was transforming from that Fresh Prince of Bel-Air persona. Number four is Pursuit of Happiness. He was nominated for an Oscar for this movie, uh, playing a homeless guy. Oftentimes, I think for movie stars, it's hardest just to play a normal guy. And here he does that, and he's sincere, and he's genuine. Um, and a really poignant father and son story. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Pursuit of Happiness, number four. Number three, Bad Boys. Action movie, great chemistry with Martin Lawrence. Uh, again, Will Smith in this movie, that swaggering character that he can do so well. And I thought he even did it better in number two, which would be Men in Black. Because, again, he's a smart aleck now, along with all the action and the special effects. As far as movies go of this genre, very entertaining. He and Tommy Lee Jones together. And the best film, I think, of Will Smith's career would be Ali. The movie itself is a mixed bag. If you love Muhammad Ali like I do, I'd recommend watching a documentary like When We Were Kings or reading the Thomas Hauser book. But if you want to see the fictional film made by Michael Mann, who's a talented director, has obviously made brilliant films like Heat and The Insider, Ali, to me, I think was a mixed bag. I thought his focus was a little bit erratic in the movie. Tried to streamline it a little bit. But Will Smith's the best part of the movie. He was nominated for an Oscar. That would be number one. Stancic, I know you're upset. Independence Day didn't make it. Wrong movie. Enemy of the State. One of my favorites of all time. Gene Hackman, yes. It's like a top 10 movie for me, and you didn't even have it in Will Smith's top five. I mean, it was ahead of its time, telling you how the NSA knows everything. <laughs> it, it like foreshadowed Snowden. Did foreshadow Snowden. Definitely government intrigue, paranoia. I can see why you like it, political angles. It's one of those movies, if it's on TV, I'm watching it. You're hooked And there's on only like four of those, and that's one of them for me. <laughs> Very on the, disappointing. On the next in a file, Stancic tells us the other three movies that he would stop. I for. can just tell you right now. There are, you know, Shaw, God, baby Shawshank, Shawshank. And A Few Good Men. A Few Good Men's the other one, too. All right, Enemy of the State. Anything else that I missed that was egregious? That was probably the big one. Enemy of the State. Yeah, one. Independence Day, not really. Hitch. No, no Hitch. Kevin James. It's the, it's the best movie Will Smith's made in the last decade and a half. I, I, yeah, I'm with you because I thought Concussion was disappointing. I hear people go, oh, Concussion wasn't bad. I go, no, actually, it wasn't very good, and he wasn't very good in it. And the best part of it was Albert Brooks. There's my Will Smith Top 5. Streaming Suggestions. So these ones are leaving at the end of the month. So you've only got a week or so here to watch these. Dog Day Afternoon, as I've mentioned previously on Cinephile, it's one of my favorite Al Pacino performances. Neil Everett's a sports center anchor here. He says his favorite movie of Pacino's is Dog Day Afternoon. He'll be leaving HBO in about 10 days. Michael Cade does a terrific job on a show called Center Stage. You can watch it on the Yes Network, and he interviews actors. Jeff Daniels was a recent guest, and he asked Jeff Daniels what's motivated him to acting. He goes, honestly, I blame Pacino and Dog Day Afternoon. That's what got me started on this whole crazy journey. If a guy like Jeff Daniels is saying Pacino and Dog Day Afternoon inspired him to be an actor, then go ahead and check it out. It's a, such an awesome movie. Sidney Lumet directed it and a great script as well. I'm so characters. surprised that you just got through an entire Dog Day Afternoon. Attica! Thank you. Attica! Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Say Anything. I don't watch a lot of romantic comedies. I Admittedly, it's a hole in my resume, but I do like Say Anything. A sweet uh, teen romance from the 80s. It's with John Cusack, Ioni Sky, John Mahoney, Free Frazier, uh, the iconic scene where he puts a ghetto blaster on his forehead and they play Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes. Check out Say Anything if you know that kind of stuff. You want a weird movie? How about Naked Lunch? David Cronenberg, before he hooked up and started making great movies with Viggo Mortensen, like A History of Violence and Eastern Promises, uh, was an expert in Canada at making eccentric films. Naked Lunch is one of those types of movies. If you know the source material, you know how strange it is, but go ahead and see it if you want something a little bit different. And of course, Scent of a Woman. I was once asked about 
a favorite guilty pleasure movie. I listed it, to which Stancic immediately tweeted me back and said, that's not a guilty pleasure. That's just a great movie. The reason I put it as a guilty pleasure is those who knock it say, the last 30 minutes is just Pacino grandstanding and hoo-hawing his way to the Oscars, which is a fair criticism, but I think it's just so entertaining and so funny. And prior to that, I actually think it's really well acted. Ebert has a great review of Son of a Woman in which he explains why it's one of Pacino's bravest and riskiest performances because Frank Slade comes on so strong at the beginning with so much profanity and anger and rage for him to then make himself likable is a real trick that only a great actor can do. And Al does it instantly. Quick, quick note on that one. Yeah. A young Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes, amazing. It was dark. I couldn't see. I didn't have my glass. I didn't have my contacts in. Yeah, he's, he's hilarious in that, uh, playing the character who's uh, not really helping out Chris O'Donnell in the movie. A Scorsese story. The film that finally won Martin Scorsese an Oscar. It has been one of the great injustices, the great miscarriages of justice in cinematic history. How could Alfred Hitchcock never win a Best Director Oscar? And how until 2006 had Martin Scorsese never won a Best Director Oscar? Never was even nominated for Best Director for Mean Streets or Taxi Driver. Nominated for Raging Bull, loses to Robert Redford, actor-turned-director. Nominated for Goodfellas, loses to actor-turned-director Kevin Costner. Nominated for Last Temptation of Christ, did not win. Uh, of course, then he went on this journey of making these period pieces, epic movies with a lot of money, Gangs of New York, a flawed masterpiece for many. The Aviator, beautiful looking, didn't have the substance, perhaps, of some of Scorsese's best films. So in 2006, he said, the hell with all that. I'm going back to my roots. I'm making a gangster movie. I'm making a true crime movie. It's a lean, mean, snarling machine. And I remember some great reviews from the past reading them going, hey, Scorsese kind of went on this adventure of making different films, bringing out the dead, which kind of are a rekindling with Paul Schrader. Uh, almost a taxi driver updated with Nicolas Cage as this burnt-out ambulance driver. Gangs in New York, again, people focused. The length was too much. The Cameron Diaz subplot didn't work. All right, Aviator was good, but it's set in the 40s. It doesn't have the criminal element you'd expect of a Marty movie. The Departed is one that all the critics said, oh, yeah, this is what Marty does better than anybody. And rather than going from New York, this time he set the story in the main streets of Boston. So it didn't feel like a retread. It was like he was going back to what he does best, these crime stories. And as he himself said, focusing on stories of trust and betrayal, but doing it now in Boston and doing it with actors he didn't normally work with. Uh, that's the part of the shame for me when he won. I was like, man, I wish it had been for Goodfellas because with Pesci and De Niro, those are the guys, or, and Keitel, those are the guys you think of with Marty. You don't think of Matt Damon or Jack Nicholson, but you do think of Leonardo DiCaprio, one of the five movies he made with Marty. And I would think Marty, I think he knew what he was getting with Leo. In Gangs in New York, he was just a boy kind of who gets overwhelmed by Daniel Day-Lewis's character, both on the screen and off the screen. I just thought Day-Lewis was so amazing as Bill the Butcher. It really diminished Leo. I thought he was excellent in The Aviator at capturing Howard Hughes, especially at that boy's time. But I thought Leo in The Departed was amazing. I really thought at that point, him and Scorsese reached a new level of chemistry. And Marty's uh, ability to extract that performance from Leo, the scenes where he's just so conflicted and so frustrated and angered by what's going on, the way he externalizes all the internal turmoil with the scenes of Vera Farmiga or later on when he's talking to their actors. Like, I thought DiCaprio was brilliant in this movie. And even later when he confronts Matt Damon, the, the rage with which he's saying in his voice, it's, I thought it was palpable and how good he was. 
Nicholson is only in the movie. Uh, the shooting schedule was one fifth of ninety nine days, and they had a bit of a power struggle with Marty when he was on set. Obviously, they respect each other, but Nicholson said, "I want my character to be bigger." So he wanted some scenes rewritten. He wanted his character to have a bigger role. And as Michael Bauhaus said, the director of photography, who also worked with Marty on Goodfellas, the problem then became was that Nicholson wanted to diminish other characters. And Marty himself said, "He goes, listen, this was a hundred million dollar budget movie with big time Hollywood stars. I'm not normally used to this. So the the challenge of the Departed was I couldn't just." make the movie then tell the studio here it is they're going hang on a second you got matt damon and leo and nicholson and, and mark Wahlberg, and this has to be a movie that makes money period this can't be one of your artistic ventures this can be really critically acclaimed but it's got to be commercially viable it's got to be entertaining and and make us some money so he actually had to screen it with the studio and go back and reshoot scenes and and take um, a lot of collaboration more than i think he was used to and in some ways he found it difficult once he was done with the final print he just told the studio all right it's all yours now good luck with it uh, he joked in his Oscar speech, it's the first time I had a real script because Bill Monahan, who wrote the script, it's much more conventional in terms of, all right, good guys, bad guys, you know, here's plot A, plot B, and all kind of doves together. You look at some of his earlier films, like Mean Streets is an impressionistic movie. It's just about a bunch of guys growing up. You know, Raging Bull is Jake LaMotta's life, but it's not necessarily a conventional story. A lot of his movies are atypical, but The Departed actually follows a story. Like It's a really straightforward story. This guy's a rat. This guy's a cop. This is how they're going to intersect, and away we go. Um, but the way he's able to just engineer the, the classic Scorsese energy, the fact he knows those mean streets yet, it still feels reinvigorated because of the new climate. Nicholson, for some, is a little bit broad, but I, I think he's entertaining in the movie. Wahlberg was the real revelation. He got nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, the scenes where he's just scoffing at DiCaprio's character and the way he gets in his face. I mean, talk about a guy you just want to punch in the face. Uh, dead giveaway when Marty, of course, was going to win at the Oscars because when they came out to present him, it was Spielberg and Coppola and Lucas, his old filmmaking buddies from the 70s. So when they open up the envelope, they all set the same time. Martin Scorsese, great shot of Marty throwing his arms up. And when he went up there, the first thing he said was, could you, could you double check the envelope? Because he actually had finally won. $100 million movie. It made $290 million worldwide. So it was not only a critical success, but it was a commercial success. And not only winning him the Oscar, but it won Best Picture. You look at Best Pictures, you don't normally get an R-rated, profanity-strewn, heavily violent body camp movie like The Departed. But it really stood out in 2006 as a great movie. The only real competition that year was Babel, the Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu film. He, of course, has now received acclaim with Birdman and The Revenant, winning Best Director Oscars there. But it actually wasn't a great year for movies, so it makes sense that The Departed would win. And as far as, you know, homages, Old Boys, a great Asian film, uh, which came out relatively recently, Scorsese viewed that and kind of got his cast into that that mode. But he wanted to harken back to those B-movies and noirs. And The Departed, I think, is a great movie. And upon seeing it standing, it really felt like a return to form for Marty. Even though I love Gangs in New York and I thought The Aviator was a very good movie, this really felt like his terrain. Yeah, I got plenty on this one. First of all, Alec Baldwin, tremendous <laughs> as well in a supporting role. I'm yeah. surprised he wasn't nominated. Yeah. The first time I saw the film, and I've seen it a lot, I was kind of rooting for Matt Damon's character, and I don't know why. I think that just speaks to some inherent likability that he has. Mm -hmm. But ever since then, all Leo all the time, and you referenced it earlier, the best scene in the movie is Leo in Vera Farmiga's apartment with Comfortably Numb playing by Pink Floyd. <laughs> yeah. It is the best scene. In the, the vulnerability on, on display there is right. incredible. Yeah, I mean, what this guy is going through. Like, nobody has any idea. The scenes where he's, he's talking to Martin Sheen and Mark Wahlberg, you guys don't understand. you got to get me out of this thing. Like, let's go. Martin Sheen, spoiler alert now, if you haven't seen The Departed, it's been 10 years, so sorry. Martin Sheen, death scene, great. He goes there to try to help him. He's in the building. Like, I'll, I'll cover for you. I'll cover for you. And all of a sudden just gets thrown off the building. Slow motion. Great shot. The big thud. Blood spurting up as Leo's walking out. 
And that was amazingly well done. The Departed, if you haven't seen it, the film that finally won Scorsese and Oscar, I think it's a great film. I know some you know, kind of chirp at the fact that he should have won for other movies. Well, that's life. That's what the Oscars is always made of. Denzel should have won for Malcolm X, but he wins for Training Day. Pacino should have won for The Godfather, but he wins for Scent of a Woman. Such is life. I'm just happy that Scorsese finally did indeed cop the golden guy from The Departed. And he has said it helped him make other projects which came out after that, including his new film, Silence. Actors in three words. Three words. The one that I love the most here. Give us the first one, Stanza. Kevin Costner. I love this one. Athlete's the first one. I could have gone baseball because he's only great baseball movies, but of course, Tin Cup he was in as well. So let's go athlete for Kevin Costner. Number two is 80s. I mean, that was a decade that he really owned. In the 80s, Kevin Costner was gold. And number three, for me, my favorite Kevin Costner movie, as much as I love Field of Dreams, I'll go with Untouchable. The untouchables, of course. I'll just say untouchable, singular, for one of the three words for costume. Okay. I like it. I would have said again because of Tin Cup. Oh, again. <laughs> again. <laughs> again. All right. Secondly, we have Kate Beckinsale. Uh, I'm going to help you. I need a little bit of help for you on this one. Uh, Pearl Harbor is the first one that comes up right away. Uh, UK. Yes, correct. Right. You always get, whenever that's an option on the table, you take it. <laughs> well done. That's what I mean. She's it's, British. It's, it's not original, but I'll take Good. it. Good. UK. And then I have fine, which is, has a dual meaning. One as in she's fine because she's attractive, but also she was in a movie with De Niro called Everybody's Fine. When De Niro was here, when people ask about the century of movies that are not very good, dating back to 2000, he often says, he goes, well, I thought Everybody's Fine was pretty good, and that's with Kate Beckinsale. I actually thought she had really good chemistry playing De Niro's daughter in that movie. Have you ever seen the movie Click with Adam Sandler? Never seen it. You like Please it a lot, don't. though. No, I think it's the worst movie ever made. <laughs> She's the only good part about the movie. So Click would be one of yes. your three words. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, uh, next, Benedict Cumberbatch. Again, English? <laughs> you never miss a laugh. <laughs> Sherlock. And the third one is Quaff. Really good salad, wavy, thick. I think of his hair when I think of a Benedict Cumberbatch. Also, name would be a good one. Just a, a unique name. Just a, what a handle on him. Benedict Cumberbatch. Excuse me, Mr. Cumberbatch, we're here to see you now. Yes, Benedict, good to meet you. Like, he never thought of a shortening it to Ben. That's interesting to me. Like, whole life, Benedict. You go by Ben? No, I go by Benedict. Okay, great. If he grew up in America, he would have changed it to Ben. Uh, Olivia Munn. Uh, one is Aaron Rodgers. That's a gimme. Shocker. Two is the newsroom, which she was in. Third one is fired, because if you Google Olivia Munn and click on images at your workplace, you're going to get fired. <laughs> that was that was well done. She was also a short run on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Oh, there you go. And lastly, the future Oscar winner, Casey yeah. Affleck. Number one is voice. I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad, but it's really unique. I how would you describe it? It's a shaky voice. It lacks yeah, tenor. Yeah, shaky. Right? It's, it's kind of like that's that's his voice. But voice, I think, in case you have to, like, brother, of course. And the third one is Manchester, because he'll never have a better performance than Manchester by the Sea. So those are the three words there. Thank you so much for listening to Cinephile. I'm Adnan Burke. Special thanks to our guests, our guests today. Not only Keegan-Michael McKee, but Ryan Rosillo making a cameo appearance. Uh, thanks, as always, for your support. Once again, thank you to Brian Sussman at Podcast Spotlight for uh, having us now redirected. So now go to iTunes. We're under Film and TV. We're going to try to chart Top 25, rate the show, and write a review. Five stars or four Maple Leafs. Tons of great guests coming in the new year on Cinephile. Owen Gleiberman, the chief film critic at Variety. I'm going to try to get Jamie Foxx on. He's got a new movie coming out in the middle of January. And also, by the time we talk next, I'll have seen all the big movies. So Silence and La La Land and Fences. Uh, have a wonderful holiday season. Thank you so much for supporting Cinephile. For Dan Stanzik, Pete Genesini, Charlie Frankel, I'm Adnan Verk, and we'll see you at the movies. 
Don't miss out on the next episode of Cinephile. Subscribe to the Adnan Verk Movie Podcast by clicking the Listen tab in the ESPN app.